This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcasting from Radio America. This is your host, Les Smolin, with Vistage International, and my co-host, Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Andrew Renart, uh, Cressa, Fred Barons, AOG Wealth Management, Gabe Muller, Muller Consulting, and Andrew Howard, Howard Insurance. We've got a great lineup of guests for you today. We have Jeff Freeman, President of the Grocery Manufacturers Association, Scott Newman, CEO of Transparent BPO, Matt Clark, President of CoreCentric, and Brian Moran, CEO of Government CIO. Uh, first up is my guest, Jeff Freeman, President of Grocery Manufacturers Association. Jeff, what is the Grocery Manufacturers Association? Grocery Manufacturers is a trade association that represents the consumer packaged goods industry. So companies like PepsiCo and Coke, Procter & Gamble and Clorox, uh, those companies that are in everyone's home every day. And how big or small is this? It's an organization of about $20 million in revenue, which is a mid-sized trade association here in Washington, uh, about 35 staff. And uh, how'd you get a job there? Uh, I've been running trade associations for the past uh, 20 years in different industries. Uh, it's, so for me, it's less about being part of the consumer packaged goods industry. It's about being part of the lobbying trade association industry. Prior to this was running the American Gaming Association, mm -hmm. which represented the U.S. casino industry. And uh, where are you from? I grew up uh, in a town called Port Washington, Wisconsin, which is just north of Milwaukee. And what made that town special? You know, it's right there on, uh, on Lake Michigan, and it's uh, cold uh, ten and a half months a year, and uh, there's a lot of snow. Mm -hmm. uh, any uh, brothers, sisters? I've got a younger sister who's about four years younger. And uh, what were ma mom and dad doing? Uh, my dad was in sales, uh, a struggling salesman for a number of different uh, uh, industries, and my mom uh, had her master's in social work and ran the county department on aging. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, who's got the next question? Jeff, in the green room, you mentioned that uh, you have this ability to take chances, and I'm curious to know where it is that you learn that trait. Yeah, I think when you're running these trade associations, chances are, taking chances is very uh, important. Uh, I grew up uh, playing sports. I think from sports, learned how to do that. I played soccer, was a goalkeeper. And uh, when you're a goalkeeper, you've got to be willing to take risks. You've got to be a little crazy. Uh, you've got to be willing to forget about your mistakes pretty quickly. And that's transcended into the workplace. Was there a particular coach in your life uh, during soccer that uh, has made an impact on your life now? Yeah, a great coach, Tim Snyder, who was three, four years older than me. So it was weird that the coach was uh, so close in age, but he was uh, mature beyond his years, uh, always pushed us, always encouraged us. I was a bit of a troublemaker, and he always uh, kept me focused and got me to, to get to levels that I didn't know I was capable of, and I was always grateful for that. And so how does that show up today uh, within your business? You know, I, I think when, again, when you're running these trade associations, that there's a natural tendency to just defend everything your industry does. Uh, we tend to take a different approach. We take some chances. How do we grow the industry? How do we create opportunities for the industry? How do we do things that nobody would have expected us to pull off? Those are the questions we're asking. And I think those lessons uh, earlier in life help to uh, uh, elicit that. Good. Who's next? So the strong work ethic now, uh, how did that get started back home? 
Well, again, you know, growing up in a blue-collar town uh, north of uh, Milwaukee, I think uh, work ethic is what people in the Midwest are known for, and that's a that's a given. Uh, you're expected to go uh, get a job at an early age. You're expected to do various things. Uh, I went and worked at a, in an Italian restaurant and did dishwashing from probably 14 or 15 years old, uh, but it was just expected that's what you did. So you learned how to work hard and what to do. It also taught you something about maybe what not to do. Uh, I learned a lot of lessons of what not to do. I was uh, I was a kid who was often getting in trouble, and that's why the coach was so important. He was someone who took a, um, uh, had had a belief in you. Uh, but yeah, I was getting in trouble and doing things not to do. Uh, you know, stealing mozzarella sticks from the basement of the Italian restaurant was probably not a good idea. Uh, but there were a lot of other uh, bad ideas, and it took people who who uh, who saw had some confidence in you and really invested in you. So how does that impact you today? I think a few things. Uh, one, um, uh, you begin to see through people the, the, some of the value they have, the potential they have. Uh, I'm a much better father than I probably would have been otherwise, realizing some of the trouble I got in and how things can turn out. Uh, I think you just uh, you're, you're more likely, I think, to to figure out how do you shape people, uh, how do you bring out the best in people, uh, rather than uh, judge uh, judge that book by its cover. Who brought out the best in you? You know, I, I had, uh, I think, several teachers. You know, in, in eighth grade, I finally had to figure out um, what the heck I was going to do with my life, and I was going to continue to talk back and be in detention and get suspended every other day, uh, or was I going to get a bit focused? And I had a, uh, an ex-military eighth grade teacher who, um, who brought some discipline to me, got me focused, and uh, wouldn't be where I am today without Is that. Is that your coach also? Uh, no, the coach did something very similar. Um, but yeah, I remember, you know, first grade, my parents went to parent-teacher conference, and the first grade teacher said he's not going to amount to anything. Um, so when, you're, when you hear all those times what you're not going to be able to do, uh, when you find some people who actually believe you can do better than that, uh, it's, it's, it's really uh, uh, meaningful. Hmm. Gabe, do you have a follow-up to that? Or excuse me, Fred, around the job? Um, so it also helps you to learn how to uh, work with others. And um, you said something about um, you're not afraid to make mistakes. Yeah, I think again, when you're when you're a goalkeeper, you're going to make a lot of mistakes, and you got to forget about it pretty quickly. And how do you bring that into your career? How do you do things that uh, take some chances in various areas and recognize that you're not going to be defined by that thing that you, you let get past you? You're going to be defined by some of the points that you put on the board, some of the successes that you have. Hmm. Andrew, what are you thinking? Jeff, uh, you've successfully run in a lot of different associations 20 years you've taken a lot of chances what was the biggest chance you took that you can remember growing up I think growing up again Wisconsin's a very at least it was when I grew up it was a very insular place there weren't you weren't frankly you weren't trained to be uh, ambitious and, and you could go off and do anything uh, you're more you kind of stick to home so for me uh, graduating from high school and leaving Wisconsin going out to California that was um uh, that was shocking for people who I grew up with. Only three people in my graduating class left the state. So whereas you know these kids in the Northeast, uh, the kids that we all raise have all these opportunities, uh, you didn't think that way. So taking that chance was a big one. Who encouraged you to take that chance? That's a great. You know, I think my father encouraged me to be uh, more ambitious and to to set the bar higher, uh, and that was certainly pretty influential in my life. What, did he not see uh, an opportunity for you back where it is that you grew up? Or, you know, I, I think my dad always always wanted to live uh, a notch or two higher than he could uh, and that we could. And he, uh, whether it was the right focus or not, he always encouraged me to have aspirations that were far greater than um, perhaps what I would have had naturally or perhaps what some around us would have had. Uh, and I, I took the best of that, uh, and, and that drove me. So we were talking earlier, Jeff, about um – you know, risk-taking and how that impacted you and, and how um, that takes a role in, in what you do today. But what about, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, at what age did you really realize that you were good at building teams and, and 
uh, motivating teams. Yeah, I think one of the one of the great parts about playing soccer and being a goalkeeper is you're an individual in a team sport, and and that's a it's an interesting combination. Uh, and for a long time in my career, being a really you know trying to be a really talented individual paid off. Uh, but there was a point as you go up and up in your career where it's less and less about what you can do to make the business run each day. Uh, you need a team of competent people to do that. And I remember having a mentor say to me that uh, your arrogance has taken you as far as it's going to take you. And when I let the sting of that wear off and, and really thought about what it meant, uh, it made a lot of sense. You know, everything you do right now is how you motivate others, how you put the right people in the right positions to succeed. And that's certainly been my focus in the organizations that I'm running. At, po at what point in your life was that? You know, unfortunately, perhaps that was probably uh, you know early thirties, mid thirties, uh, and uh, but it was a very critical lesson. How long did it take you to actually comprehend that lesson? You know, it, it wasn't overnight. Uh, of course, I was defensive a bit. I was, I was arrogant. I was saying that that uh, you know, she doesn't know me. Uh, so it probably took me you know weeks, months to to really understand what was being said, uh, and then you had to have the the opportunities in your career to do exactly what was being suggested, to surround yourself with the right people, to provide them with the right motivation, to put them in the right places to succeed. And as you saw that happening over the course of years, it only became more entrenched in you that that's exactly what you what you have to do. So how do you help others within your organization have that same belief? Uh, yeah, I, I think that. I hope uh, that people that, that I work with, people on our team, see that I'm always focused on the we. It's not about me. Uh, it is about the collective of what we're pulling off. And I think more so by uh, how I conduct myself each day. Uh, I hope that that's that's seen by others. Uh, that it's uh, and the way that I'm carrying myself is a is a way that they'd be well uh, served to carry themselves as well. What was the hardest part about absorbing that lesson? The arrogance, right? I mean, I think we yeah. all we, we all want to see our our name in lights to a degree. We want to believe that we did this. We um, we're not confident, perhaps, that others know how something came about. And and I think just you know, there's a maturity that comes with with getting over that, understanding that the uh, victory has a thousand fathers in the first place, uh, and just being com confident and comfortable in who you are and what you do. And what really matters, obviously, going home at night and having three kids that are happy to see their dad, that's a hell of a lot more important uh, than, than accolades in the office on a given day. And where did the confidence come from? You know, I think there's a, again, I go back to, to being a goalkeeper, there's a false confidence that thinks that, that, think that you uh, are going to stop things from going in this 8-foot by 24-foot goal. Uh, you're, you're set up to fail. But you have to have this false confidence that you can pull it off. And that false confidence with a couple successes here and there and forgetting about your mistakes, uh, I think, helps drive you throughout life. That's great. Jeff, what's the website address for Grocery Manufacturers Association? Uh, GMAonline.org, uh, soon to be the Consumer Brands Association. You can learn more about that there. Thanks. We've been speaking with Jeff Freeman, president at Grocery Manufacturers Association. Don't forget, don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders, we'll be back in a moment right after this business spotlight. Want help building your business with help from this show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues. Because our CEOs have been there and done that. They've succeeded in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that. 
succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. And your name is? Ramon Parker. And Ramon, the name of the organization? Loud and Free Clinic. And you were telling me there's some, something special about the Loud and Free Clinic where every dollar that goes in does something else. What was that all about? Yeah, it does something magical. So for every dollar that's donated to our clinic, we can deliver $8 worth of care. And what kind of clinic is this? Who are, you, who are you helping out? What kind of stuff do you guys do? So we're helping out those who are 18 to 64 who are uninsured and low income, 200% or below the federal poverty level. And give me this thing about the math again. Give me how that works. So essentially, I have a, a staff of 12 individuals and 128 volunteers. So with that kind of payer mix, I'm able to deliver, you know, anywhere from $8 uh, in care for our patients. Because you've been able to enroll the support of so many volunteers, you're actually keeping the cost of health care down, therefore multiplying the dollars. And making one of, it, one of the best business investments for private corporations who want to invest. And didn't, ah, interesting. So private businesses and individuals can get involved. And didn't you Absolutely. tell me you had a couple of health care challenges yourself? What were they? I have. I've had four open heart surgeries, and mm -hmm. it helps me to understand what patients need. What are you talking about? What do you mean? So the idea of having been on the table or being a patient, I'm able to take a patient focus in how we deliver care differently than most people would. What did you, what did you learn from those experiences personally? What do you appreciate that most of us don't? I appreciate consistency. Um, I think that a, a staff at the hospital, nurses, providers, mm -hmm. parents, mm -hmm. family, all those people consistently being around me and consistently offering me hope. Uh, I'm so full of it that I have to offer that to the patients and to the staff when I'm working with them. What's the website address for the Loudon Free Clinic? Loudonfreeclinic.org. Let me have that one more time. L-O-U-D-O-U-N freeclinic.org. We've been speaking with your name again? Ramon Parker. And this has been your Business Spotlight. Thank you. We're back, and you're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Les Smolin, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to our next guest, Scott Newman, CEO of Transparent BPO. Scott, what is Transparent BPO? We are a uh, customer service contact center where operations are based out of the country of Belize, and uh, we do sales, customer service, and technical support for a variety of clients. And how big or small is this organization? We're just over $20 million in annual revenue and uh, just over 1,000 employees today. In Belize? In Belize. Interesting. And uh, how'd you get a job there? Uh, myself and my co-founders, we started the business back in 2009 um, and been growing there ever since. So you have a co-founder? Yes, we have, uh, I have two business partners. Okay. And um, where'd you grow up? I actually grew up in the uh, Maryland area in Montgomery County. And uh, mom and dad, what were they doing? So my mom uh, was a publisher for a, for a magazine, and my dad uh, worked for Booz Allen Hamilton uh, as a consultant for 35 years. And uh, you also have, what, brothers and sisters? What do you got going there? I do. I have a younger brother. He's two and a half years younger than me. Okay. And uh, something happened with your dad at 17, you said? Yeah. You know, at 16, um, he was diagnosed with leukemia uh, after almost a two-year battle. Unfortunately, he passed uh, when I was 17 years old. Mm. And, and people were reminding me that I knew your dad. I worked with him. Um, all right. Who's got the next question? So, Scott, um, Tell, tell me a little bit about how that uh, your dad's passing affected uh, the relationship with your younger brother and, and sort of the role that you took in the family after that point. Yeah, you know, um, my brother and I were very close when we were younger. Um, and then on his passing, everybody handles uh, something like that in their own way. And um, he kind of uh, uh, recessed a little bit. And uh, I tried to step up to 
to handle more of the things my father was handling. But um, over the last 10, 15 years especially, uh, my brother and I have really uh, redeveloped that relationship. What do you mean you stepped up? Well, you know, the, my father was sort of the role model and the idol and the, and the leader in the house. And um, when that happens, I sort of felt a responsibility to step up and try to uh, help the family any way that I could. Mom didn't ask. You just kind of naturally did that? No, my mom was dealing with things herself as well, and she was trying to be the leader and, and keep us together. And I just kind of felt like it was my responsibility to, to help out any way that I could. Mm-hmm. Anything else, Andrew, on that you want to follow? Um, tell us, you were talking earlier about um, your first job and how uh, you had that entrepreneurial spirit uh, as a little kid and how that kind of developed over time. Yeah, I, I think I was fortunate because my parents were very supportive of my entrepreneurial spirit. spirit. So, um, you know, when I was about 13 years old, uh, my neighbors were selling lemonade on, on the street like many kids do for 25 cents a cup. And I said, you can never make a living doing that. So I uh, went to my parents and said, I want to sell snow cones. And they immediately jumped in the car and got me a little ice shaver and some flavorings. And we started selling snow cones that summer. And it was great. What did you learn about yourself doing that? Um. I think just that, you know, you're, if you have creative ideas and ways to, to do something different, if you have a support of people around you, you can really accomplish whatever you want. Hmm. Andrew, what are you thinking? In the green room, we were talking about sports, and you, know, you played a lot of sports growing up, but soccer became uh, your main sport. Uh, tell us about that, what position you played. Yeah, I played a striker. Um, I played through my whole life. Uh, I've had four knee surgeries since then, so that's no longer a thing. But um, I played uh, for four years in college as well. And uh, talk to us about the characteristics of, of a striker. And, and uh, that wasn't your first position on the field, I don't think, right? No, I used to play defense. Um, and I, I made the transition probably when I was 13 or 14 years old. And I was never the fastest or most skilled uh, player, but I was very strategic and tactical. And so I always was able to be in the right place at the right time, and, and that's really what my strength was. I wasn't the most talented player on the field by any stretch of the imagination. And where, where does that carry today? I think it's sort of the same idea of being very strategic. I think one of my skills is to be able to look ahead um, and, and be very uh, planned out and thoughtful in, in how we tackle different problems in, in business today. Who in your family has that trait? Um, you know, I, I think my father definitely had that. He was not, uh, he wasn't a very loud guy. Um, he didn't raise his voice very often, but everything he said was very calculated and thoughtful. Um, but, you know, at the same time, my mom was really that entrepreneur like I was. Um, and I didn't realize that till later in my life, but she really was the risk taker in the family and has been very supportive over the last 10 years of running Transparent. What do you mean? What do you mean she was the, the risk taker? Uh, I mean, she w- was always a little bit more, she had the entrepreneurial bug as well. It just, it kind of manifests itself in different ways that I didn't recognize until I got a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, but she has always been supportive of all of my ideas, is cr- all my crazy business ideas. And But she also has the ability to, to pull me back into place when I uh, <laughs> am a little too far outside of the box. <laughs> Scott, clearly uh, your mom is uh, a massive, uh, she encourages you tremendously. So when you went to her when you were 27 and said, hey, I want to move down to Belize and start this company, what was her initial reaction? I mean, the initial reaction I probably can't share here, but it, <laughs> uh, it took her a moment to wrap her head around that. Um, but then immediately she was supportive. She knew it was something I was serious about. Um, you know, she wanted to see all the details, like show me your business plan and financials to, to, to prove that it was a legitimate thing that I was about to undertake. But once all that was vetted out, I mean, she was all in and supported me uh, in multiple ways to help that transition. And is she still a sounding board and a, an advisor for you today? A hundred percent. You know, uh, when I'm faced with things that I don't really know how to handle, um, she's a great resource to go to and, and get a difference of opinion from somebody that's not entrenched in the day-to-day. Got it. And just one last question. 
Why did you pick Belize? You know, Belize is the only Latin American country where English is the native and primary language. And so we really wanted to stand up a, a very high quality operation for our clients. So um, that was just sort of a natural choice for us. Hmm. Fred, what are you thinking? Scott, you mentioned uh, in your childhood your father had to travel quite a bit for work responsibilities. How has that impacted your family and work decisions? Yeah, I remember um, when I was in middle and high school, always coming home and asking my mom if my dad would be home for dinner that night. And 80% of the time it was no because he was traveling for work. Um, but one of the things I, I took away from that really is I, I wanted to, you know, in, in college during spring break, my senior year, I was interviewing for jobs. I wasn't out partying. And I had my first job three days after I graduated college. Um, but I've always taken the approach that I want to put in the hard work and the long hours early on and take chances when I was younger so that as I've started my own family, I can be more present for them uh, and be involved in my son's, you know, sports and activities in school. So how's that working so far? Uh, you know, I'm still f trying to find that balance because, you know, from an entrepreneur, you always want to be involved and have your hands in everything and influence it. But, um, you know, certainly have some of the uh, afforded me some opportunities to be a little bit more flexible with my schedule. Um, you know, I have a one year old now and, and I'm married and um, certainly we do a lot more things uh, as a family that maybe I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do otherwise. Well, and it sounds like you also married someone that has the same kind of commitment. I, definitely. You know, um, they uh, my wife uh, quit her job. Um, she's she was a school psychologist. And uh, she actually took a, a job in the business uh, working as our employee engagement manager, which is a new initiative for us. And uh, we travel to Belize uh, probably 50 percent of our time now uh, with our with our son. And it's been a, a really fun thing to do and a, and a great next step. So how is that going to impact going forward as your son gets older and maybe more kids down the road? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, we're kind of just taking, uh, you know, one one day, one month at a time and seeing where it develops. Um, you know, hopefully one day my son will take an interest in, in what we're doing as well. But, uh, you know, I'm very excited about the idea that they're traveling with me and being involved in the business on a day-to-day -day basis. What do you think they, uh, how do you think they see you uh, through what it is you invite them to go experience? I mean, not many kids get to experience traveling to another country because that's where dad's business is. I mean, so what's their reaction to all that? Uh, well, my one-year-old hasn't really told me anything quite yet. So, <laughs> uh, but, but uh, any you know, day now, <laughs> any, any day, day right? That's right. Um, but you know, my wife, uh, I, ever since we we started dating, she uh, took an interest in my business and what we were doing, and, and I think the fact that now she can really be a hundred percent all in uh, has been an amazing experience so far, and um, I think she's really appreciated that move as well. What do you mean all in? Well, you know, you're working another job and just sort of you're on the on the outskirts and just hearing about what's happening at Transparent BPO. Now she's in the trenches with us and she's involved with the employees and the management team um, and actually making a direct impact on the business. Does it help or hurt the relationship? I think we're still figuring that out. Uh, so far, it's been a great help, um, you know, and we have a lot more to talk about and um, it's been great. Go ahead, Gabe. Scott, in the uh, green room, you, you mentioned that your dad was uh, the champion for the people. And clearly you're doing that with your business today. Um, had you made that connection long time ago and this is something that you wanted to do as far as bring your wife in and be the engagement officer? You know, it, I didn't, I've, I've always had a, a passion for, you know, working with people and wanting to see, you know, I take great responsibility with the thousand jobs and lives that, that we're responsible for with Transparent BPO. Um, you know, I, I never really thought that we would get this far in, in terms of the development. But the fact that the opportunity afforded itself over time, I think, is really what, what I'm very proud and, and happy about. But, um, you know, putting people first is the most important thing in our business. And this is just another way we can do that. So that's the focus internally, but it sounds like it's also part of your value proposition to your clients. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we stood up our own bus system and have employee discount cards and we have our own restaurants on our properties and our buildings. We try to do a lot of things that give back to our employees that make their lives just a little bit easier. So that's always been a, a huge piece of who we are as an organization. That's and great. then how does that translate to the client experience? Uh, happy employees have happy clients. And, and that's just the motto that we have. And we try to make sure we're honoring that at all times. Hey, Scott, what's the uh, website address for Transparent BPO? It's transparentbpo.com. Uh, we've been talking with uh, Scott Newman, CEO of Transparent BPO. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. We'll be right back after this break. Hi, this is Sherry from Hummingbird Market in Tucson, Arizona. I have some great news for those of you who like hummingbirds. Hummingbirds are the most loved and easily fed birds in the United States. Attracting these flying jewels into your yard is accomplished by using the proper nectar and feeders available from Hummingbird Market. Hummingbird Market has revolutionized hummingbird nutrition. We scientifically formulate hummingbird nectar made with all-natural plant sugars that most closely replicate nectar from Mother Nature's flowers. It hydrates and energizes the hummingbird with the essential sugar-blended nutrients it requires for proper nutrition, which keeps them coming back to your yard. Hummingbird Market is your preferred source for hummingbird-approved feeders, nectar, and accessories. Disconnect from your technology, gadgets, and daily obligations, and discover the natural beauty of hummingbirds. Visit us at hum- This is John Shuhart. Join us, joining us for our business spotlight is Barry File. Who are you with, Barry? I'm with Celebrate Fairfax, a 501c3 nonprofit in Fairfax, Virginia. And what do you do with uh, Celebrate Fairfax? I am very fortunate to be the president and CEO of the organization. So what does Fairfax, or excuse me, Celebrate Fairfax do? We have a mission to celebrate Fairfax County and its communities. We serve the 1.1 million people who live in the county as well as all the people who uh, visit and work there. So uh, what do you enjoy about working at Celebrate Fairfax? It is the best job in the world. It is. We come to work every day, my team and I. And we get to prepare and plan and produce events for 75,000, 100,000 people. And we treat them like, we think of them like, like they're our, our friends. So, so we get to come in and just plan great events for them. What makes those events so special? We try to be unique uh, within this region especially, but we're always trying to stretch the envelope of what people expect from events. People go to events because they want to have great experiences. And for us, we are always trying to give them that return on investment because they're not giving us necessarily a lot of money when they come to our events, but they are giving us their time and their energy, and that's an important thing. People want that ROI back. So did you ever think you'd be doing this when you were a kid? No, never. I, I think that when I was a kid, I, w- I, was, I was building things, designing things, and somewhere along the line I fell into events and realized that it was a natural extension for me, that I just loved producing things. So what was it about being a kid that led you to this? Um, I think that it was just the challenges that were there. I always tried to figure out solutions to problems that didn't exist, and uh, that's what we do now. It's, it's the same principle. So when do you first start overcoming big challenges as a kid? Uh, I think I always was. Uh, I think that uh, I lived in a household with two older kids, parents who had their own things going on, and I think for me I just always uh, tried to find my own way. What's your website? Our website is CelebrateFairfax.com. This is John Schuart, and this has been your Business Spotlight. You're back, and we're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. It's my pleasure to introduce you to our next guest, Matt Clark, who's president of CoreCentric. Welcome, Matt. What's CoreCentric? CoreCentric is a company that uh, helps companies uh, reduce expenses and uh, improve working capital uh, by optimizing how they purchase, pay, and get paid. 
Hmm. And how big or small is this? Uh, we're 110 million in revenue, uh, about 500 employees uh, located uh, all over the globe. Uh -huh. And how long have you been with them? Uh, about 17 years. But you didn't found the company, did you? My father founded the company. So you're working for your dad? Yeah, I work, work with my dad, yep. Okay. And where are you from? Uh, from Haddonfield, New Jersey, small uh, small town just over the bridge from Philadelphia. And uh, brothers and sisters? I'm the middle of five uh, very spread out uh, children. Okay. Age-wise. So <laughs> and you've got a mix of brothers and sisters as well? Yeah, older brother, older sister, younger brother, younger sister. And this age spread, it was almost nine plus years on the, the younger side and similar on the older side? Yeah, even more than that on the older side. Yeah, the double-digit spread on, on the older brother to, to me here. Okay, well, if that's something we need to talk about, we will get to it. Sure. Um, and what were mom and dad doing? So, uh, you know, th different things along the way, but uh, really uh, spent the, the majority of, um, you know, d the majority of my young childhood dealing with, you know, some, some tough times. My dad had started a, uh, a truck leasing company as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, did the entrepreneurial thing and uh, bankrupted the, the company as well as the family, you know, from a, from a personal financial perspective. So a lot of my formative years were, you know, exp you know going through that uh, very kind of eye-opening experience. Hmm. Okay. Gabe, you want to follow up on that? Sure. So uh, it sounds like your dad is uh, an entrepreneur at heart. Uh, curious to know what your mom does. So my mom's been, you know, on my, you know, by my dad's side uh, from from really two perspectives. Uh, she's been really the the leader of our family. She was the kind of heart and soul of our our household and the and the leader at home, but also has been a tremendous supporter and was uh, when my dad started Corecentric in 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 the late '90s was his partner, you know, in the business and really kind of helped uh, support the the initial uh, ramp up of the the Corecentric business. So, what type of characteristics characteristics do you take from your mom and apply within the business today? Yeah, I'd like to say I've got the, the kind of best of both uh, both of those uh, really important people in my life. You know, my dad had the you know real business sense, and, and I learned a lot. I always tell people uh, I didn't I didn't go uh, get my MBA anywhere except I got my MBA from uh, DCU, which is Doug Clark University. Uh, so I learned everything I know and everything that I am as a business person, you know, from my dad. But also, you know, my mom, uh, you know, very kind of Type A. We're both Capricorns, you know, so I got a lot of great uh, characteristics from her in terms of you know, drive and precision and, and, you know, attention to detail. And so combining that entrepreneurial spirit with, you know, that, that, dri that drive and that attention to detail, I think makes me, uh, you know, again, the best of both of, of, of those very important people. Andrew, what are you thinking? So going back to the topic of, of being a middle child and um, going through that tough time uh, when you were about eight years old, I think you said, um, when your younger sister was born, being the middle child, how did that impact sort of your approach to life and, and how you took on these challenges uh, then and now in business? Yeah, I think it gave me uh, a lot of perspective that I was able to share with my younger siblings. My, my sister is nine years younger than I was. And so, um, you know, having gone through those tough times at, at an age where I kind of was able to know what was going on, you know, by the time my uh, younger siblings were at an age where they knew what was going on, you know, things were, were going much better for us as a family, you know, especially financially. And so having that balance of, of knowing what life was like when it wasn't going so well and being able to share that with, you know, a younger sibling and almost kind of a hybrid, you know, brother slash, you know, parent type situation, uh, you know, has helped a lot. And it's also helped, you know, me appreciate everything that, uh, you know, that we've we've got now and, and given me some great perspective from both a personal and a, and a business perspective. So, so the bankruptcy, I mean, did you try, dad try and keep that away from you all or you were all aware of it? Yeah, I think, um, you know, parents will always try to protect their children in a situation like that. But you can't, you know, you can't help but notice what's going on. You know, there's a high level of stress in the household, uh, you know, puts a lot of stress on on the parents. And, 
you know, as, as I said earlier, it's a real, real eye opener because, you know, as a child, you, you know, you, you expect everything kind of to go to script and, and everything. And we actually lived in a, in a very affluent town, too. So, you know, you didn't see a lot of that kind of activity in terms, of, at least transparently, of people going bankrupt. Everybody was pretty, pretty well off. And so, you know, it's, it's a real eye opener to kind of the reality of life and, and makes you, you know, have some, some real good perspective. Did you guys have to move as a result? Or? We did not. No, I mean, my, uh, as you can imagine, my, my dad and mom are very resourceful people. And so, you know, my dad quickly pivoted and, and took a job. Uh, working for somebody, which I know wasn't what he wanted to do, but he knew he had to do it. So working for you know a small M and A uh, firm, and and really kind of did what he had to do until he came up with his next uh, next idea and his next endeavor, which is what uh, ultimately led to uh, the creation of CoreCentric. Hmm. Fred, what are you thinking? So um, five kids. Sometimes hard to get one on one time with your folks, but you um, had a lot of special opportunities with your father. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it just worked out well in terms of how old I was, and, and my dad was a professional race car driver, and I took, a, took an interest in that, and uh, so I, I, would, I would hit the road with him on, on long road trips to uh, racetracks all over the country and, and really get to spend a lot of one-on-one time uh, and also get to see something pretty cool, you know, get to see your dad, you know, drive a car, you know, 200 miles an hour around a track. Uh, but also with that comes, you know, a lot of anxiety and fear about, uh, you know, the safety uh, yeah, as tell well. Tell us a little bit about that. What was that like watching car crashes? It was, it was pretty lonely, actually. It's, uh, you know, I would, my, at this point in, in my life, my mom was not going to races anymore. She didn't want to deal with the, <laughs> the stress and the anxiety of, of being there. So I was, I, was, I was on my own, you know, often sitting with sponsors and, and people that, you know, maybe didn't have that close of a personal connection to my dad. So uh, I'm just worried about him making it around the track. And, and when there was an accident, you know, really, you know, concerned that, you know, for the safety of my, my father. So, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, memories ingrained in my brain from those, those racetrack experiences. And do you think forging that relationship at such an early age is helping you now? I do because I think I saw, uh, you know, I, I tell people it's amazing how much you can, you can learn through almost osmosis. So being around my dad so much and even when he was racing, he was also, you know, dealing with business issues and, and just watching him and, and hearing him and how he interacted with, uh, you know, business associates. You know, I realize now a lot of what, um, you know, a lot of what I do and, and who I am as a business person just came from those times of just listening to his conversation. What do you mean? Specifically what? Just overhearing, you know, maybe there's a, you know, a strategic decision that needed to be made with the business or the race team and hearing how he would handle the and, and process it. And, you know, he's a big believer in, you know, really kind of simplifying things and, and getting right to kind of the core solution as quickly as he can. And so watching him go through that process and, and hearing it, even though I didn't know what the, you know, anything yeah, about but what, the subject What matter. in particular resonated with you that you use? Just, you know, the, the way he would approach uh, people situations, the way he would approach challenging situations, you know, very calm, you know, processing information and, and making, you know, really strong, confident decisions, even if, um, you know, maybe it wasn't the right decision, just, you know, how he would go about that decision-making process. Mm-hmm. Andrew, what are you thinking? Matt, in the green room, we talked about being a middle child, needing to forge your own way, make your own path. Um, you know, that led to eventually deciding to join uh, the company that your father had started. Talk to us about the dynamic of, of working with uh, Dad, also known as Doug. Yeah, so it's uh, it's definitely a blessing. Uh, you know, we we get to spend uh, great great time together. You know, both kind of business and personal. Um, but it wasn't always an easy decision. You know, I, I I went and tried to do everything possible to not end up working uh, working in the in the company. Uh, went and studied broadcast journalism in in college. Uh, wanted to be a big TV and radio star. Uh, but then ultimately uh, started working at a, a technology startup. Uh, then my dad, you know, acquired a, a technology company uh, for CoreCentric. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of a, a meeting of the, 
you know, of the worlds there. And so uh, that got me into the business and uh, also created a pretty unique situation in that, um, you know, I was able to kind of grow the technology portion of the business, you know, somewhat independent of the, the rest of the, the business. And um, so we were working together, but there was still some autonomy there that allowed me to kind of make my own way and, and, and make my own reputation. And is that uh, making your own way reputation? Uh, what, what led to you be becoming chosen as president? Yeah, I think first and foremost, you have to, you know, you have to perform, you know, you have to have uh, that, that, that ability to execute, uh, you have to have a track record, you have to have credibility, uh, especially in an organization the size of ours. Uh, so uh, we've always been very, um, you know, very uh, sensitive to the whole nepotism uh, topic and probably actually uh, forced me to, you know, work harder and, and, and do more than maybe somebody without the last name Clark would have had to do. But at the end of the day, um, you know, having that credibility. And then ultimately, when you're talking about, you know, succession planning, you know, there's there's the performance side of things. And then there's the trust side of things. And obviously, with a with a father and son, there's a high degree of, of, of trust there. Well, why you as opposed to your other siblings? I think a lot of that had to do with, um, you know, my, you know, the time I did spend as a young child with my dad and, and you know, not even knowing how much of an appreciation I was gaining for, for business and, and entrepreneurship and, and the business world, uh, you know, help, helped me to kind of get a, a passion burning inside of me that maybe my, my other siblings that, you know, didn't have those opportunities, uh, you know, you know, decided to go in different directions. Hmm. What type of uh, reputation do you think you have with your siblings? I think they uh, probably, again, with the, with the age difference and then my role in the company, I think they probably would say that, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, a pretty, pretty key foundational element in the family in terms of, uh, you know, I, I tend to be, you know, pretty, pretty even keeled. I've had a pretty uh, normal, you know, you know, somewhat non-dramatic life. Uh, so I think, you know, they probably look at me as a, as a So you clearly... Yeah, yeah, I've got to interrupt. Hey, Matt, what's the uh, website for CoreCentric? It's uh, CoreCentric.com. Uh, we've been speaking with Matt Clark, president of CoreCentric. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. And we'll be back in a moment right after this business spotlight. And your name is? I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. And what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet, the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just, just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, there? Almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did you do that? Well, they, they, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people, and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh -huh. what's happening. So your idea, your, your thought is that in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. 
Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that uh, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events, through art, uh, through a happy hour. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm-hmm. That's what's exciting. So it's all about the people. And you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a nine to five kind of job oh, for you? Hell no. It's a lot longer uh-huh. than that, baby. So do you have to you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, it's organization. And, and you can download Boston Connect mobile app. Let me have uh, let me have that website address one more Balsambid. time. Bid.com. It's B-A, give me the spelling on that. B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N-B-I-D.com. Excellent. Your name again is? Tina Leone. And the name of the organization? Is the Balsam Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight back in a moment. Nice. We nailed that. That was that. Want help building your business with help from the show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow, assuming you've ser- you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, We may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back and listening to Executive Leaders Radio. It's my pleasure to introduce you to our next guest, Brian Moran, CEO of Government CIO. Brian, what is Government CIO? Government CIO is a systems integrator and a media research company. Um, we're focused on transforming government IT. It's two different kinds of things. Interesting. Um, and how big or small is this? The company is about 500 people, and uh, mm-hmm. we also are about $150 million a year annualized. And uh, you got a job there? How? I was one of the founders. Uh, so you have other founders involved in this? Yeah, uh, Bill G. and Doni is a fellow founder as well. Good. And uh, where'd you grow up? I grew up in, in Brentwood, New York. Uh, for those who don't know where that is, where is that? Uh, it's right smack dab in the middle of uh, Long Island on the South Shore. Okay, is there anything uh, interesting about that that influenced you? Yeah, uh, Brentwood is a, an ethnically uh, diverse uh, little town, and it's also uh, kind of on the lower end of the income spectrum. Okay. And uh, what were mom and dad doing? My father was a garbage man, and my mother uh, periodically waited tables, uh, worked at a stationery store. 
And uh, did he have your dad have any special uh, talent on a sports level? Yeah, my father was a Golden Gloves boxer. Interesting. And uh, how about uh, brothers and sisters? Where are you? I've got two older brothers. Uh, I'm the youngest of three. Uh, is that any significance, being the youngest of three brothers? Sure. Uh, you know, it was kind of a blessing to have uh, two older brothers uh, beat the snot out of you. <laughs> I think it uh, makes you a little tougher. All right. Andrew, what do you got? So um, tell us what it was like a little bit in the uh, Moran family household growing up with the two older brothers and the dynamic, the day-to-day there. Oh, boy. Uh, kind of like Tom and Jerry. Uh, we were a rough-and-tumble household, so uh, it, it was very dynamic. A lot of stress for my mother, I'm sure. What do you mean, a rough-and-tumble household? Well, the uh, we all uh, love to fight. We're Irish, uh, half Irish at least, uh, so fists would fly on a daily basis. No. Oh. And, and who was keeping the peace? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> we'll get into that later. What else? Anything else on that, Andrew? So how did, how did the, um, other than just getting beaten on, um, did that uh, develop into a trait that stuck with you throughout life and then uh, carried on into business? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, one of the things I learned is uh, you can get punched in the face, but it doesn't mean you're going to die. <laughs> hmm. When did you learn? Realize that you learn? We're learning that. Uh, probably when I was about eleven years old. Was that something your dad was trying to impose on him? Since he was a Golden Gloves boxer. Yeah, I think that was uh, you know just part of the natural uh, environment. Uh, but I think um, you know my father was kind of a rough guy. Uh, he was a frustrated boxer. Probably wanted to be a pro. And never ended up rising to the ranks. What about your siblings? Uh, did they stay in your hometown, or did they move on to do other things? Uh, my oldest brother stayed in the area. Uh, the middle brother ended up uh, um, staying in the area for a while, um, uh, ended up uh, in and out of prison. Hmm. So what made you different that you, know, you wanted to really do something else and, and move, you know, move on and do something else? I had a lot of luck. Uh, I ended up with a school teacher um, who saw – that I might have a, a little bit of academic potential that it wasn't being realized. And he asked me uh, what I wanted to do when I graduated. And I had to think about that. And it was probably the first time I had ever thought about it. And uh, it made me reflect on whether or not I wanted to go to college or, or do something different. So this was a real pivot point in your life. Uh, how did you resolve that? So uh, I had to step back and, and think about it. I had no plans. Uh, I was at the bottom of my class. Uh, so uh, I realized I probably had one option if I did want to go to college, and that was to go into the military. So being in the military, how is that different from just being in high school sports or hanging out with your brothers? Uh, it was radically different. Uh, the, the great thing about it was um, I, I learned uh, not to let you know, my, uh, my, my fellow colleagues down, uh, I learned that performance uh, yielded results and, and that the commitment uh, to the team tended to have long-term benefits, uh, you know, both uh, from a social perspective and, and through, the, uh, through your entire team uh, and their success. I think you mentioned in the green room that uh, high school sports, if you kind of let the team down, you'd sort of sat on the bench, but a little different in the military? Oh, totally different. Uh, you know, you, you don't have the option to sit on a bench. Uh, you're expected to perform, to roll up your sleeves and get in there. And uh, your your colleagues won't let you down, uh, won't let you let yourself down. Uh, so failure is not really an option. So, like, who do you cheer for in the Army-Navy game? Oh, that's a great question. 
you know, I spent four years in the Navy active duty, so I tend to go on the Navy side. Um, uh, but, you know, I'm fans of both teams. So, but you're in the Army National Guard now, so do they let you get away with that? I, I'm not currently in the Army National Guard, but I had, uh, I went into the Army National Guard shortly after the Navy. Um, so uh, my time in the Army National Guard was only a couple of years. All right, so we're go Navy, beat Army. Yes. Okay. So what was the biggest or the hardest part about making that transition from high school and the way you described yourself to going into a fairly, it sounds like, structured environment? Uh, it was tough at the beginning. Um, uh, you know, I was not really interested in conforming. Uh, I didn't have a lot of respect uh, for the leadership. It required a lot of ironing out. Uh, which yeah, that was doesn't work real well in that environment, does it? <laughs> no. I, actually, oddly, you know, uh, some folks took a shining to me, uh, I think because I was a bit of a rebel and they felt like they had to help iron the kinks out. Huh. Just like someone saw that when you were younger in high school and suggested maybe there's the alternative path for you. Yes, I exactly. Hmm. How does that affect you now? I mean, do you go find the, the Brian somewhere in there that's got, you know, maybe some rough edges around him, and you help him find out what's really possible? I, I think that's one of the most important things that anybody in a fortunate position like I'm in, uh, you need to help out anyone who's willing to accept that help. Yeah, what do you mean? So if somebody's open at that point, they have to be open. But if they're uh, available for mentorship, uh, I feel like it's my obligation to offer that. Hmm. Mr. Howard, what are you thinking? Brian, you talked about um, the humility of you know, being a rough and tumble household and um, that you, know, you had a tough time in high school. But you had to have a strong work ethic that got established somewhere to lead 500 people. Uh, what, what, were, what were the jobs growing up and, and where did that work ethic come into play? Yeah, I, w I was one thing I think I've always been lucky with is uh, uh, no problem working. I um, uh, I waited tables, uh, not waited, but I squeegee tables. I ended up um, painting houses. I did door to door sales. I did. I, I was a taxi driver. Uh, I was a paper boy. Uh, I literally would do anything that I could do to make a buck. And today, uh, you, you said the word meritocracy. Hard work pays off. Um, it's not just the discipline that the military taught you, correct? That, that's right. Uh, interestingly enough, I think a lot of folks uh, think everything's so hierarchical in the military that uh, meritocracy doesn't really ring true. And, and I think I, I learned the opposite. Uh, my work in the military, uh, I learned that when you performed, you put in your hard work, you'd receive accolades from your colleagues. Uh, that was enough uh, to raise you up to want to perform harder. So being recognized was important. I think uh, I think everybody uh, desires recognition. Yeah. Gabe, what are you thinking? Brian, what does uh, having a co-founder mean to you, and uh, what types of traits do you bring to that relationship? Uh, that's a great question. So, uh, Bill Giandoni, uh, my uh, my co-founder, uh, he and I uh, started the business uh, very early on. Uh, we grew it from just a two-man band uh, to what we are today, and. Um, uh, you know, the relationship there is uh, he's become my best friend. Uh, we started off business and now it's evolved uh, to a sh very strong friendship in addition to a very strong business relationship. So how do you all balance each other out within, the, within that? Uh, that that's, a, that's an excellent question because uh, we, we do that on a daily basis. Uh, we challenge each other. Um, uh, if I put out an idea that he disagrees with, uh, he has the confidence uh, to ask me questions about it. Um, if he sees me going in a different direction, then um, uh, might be prudent. He has no problem, you know, uh, 
asking me additional questions that I have to think through. It, so where was it that you, or when was it that you learned how to ma make a relationship like that work? What was it in your life that allowed you to, to make a relationship like that work? I'd have to say it was definitely the Navy. Uh, it, had it not been for the Navy, uh, I wouldn't have that ability today. Hmm. Um, Mom and Dad surprised by your success? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, I think, uh, you know, given uh, our household, I, I think everyone's, success, everyone's surprised by my success, if you, you qualify it as success. So what did they think was going to happen to you? Um, well, if you looked at my high school yearbook, it said most likely to go to prison. Seriously? Yes. So what does success mean to you? Yeah, I think success is elusive uh, for entrepreneurs. You know, we all uh, have a little bit of a hole inside of us that we're trying to plug uh, through what we deem as success. Um, uh, I like to have a big impact. Um, I want to have an impact on a country in a really big way. Um, transforming IT is something I'm obsessed with. Um, it's not a financial number. It's truly um, how many agencies have we transformed? How many lives have we changed? Uh, that means something. Who's got another question here? You have kids, Brian? I have two kids. I have a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old, both boys. And what's harder, running 500 people or, or running those two? <laughs> Every day I feel successful uh, as an entrepreneur. Uh, as a dad, I learn every day that I need to become a better dad. Why is that important? Uh, it's the most important thing. Uh, these two little guys, uh, there is... They're, they're the number one focus in my life, and uh, maintaining the balance between work and being a dad it, it can be difficult, uh, but it's uh, the most important thing to strike a balance with. Hmm. And what's the website address for uh, Government CIO? It's uh, governmentcio.com and governmentciomedia.com. Uh, thanks. We've been talking with uh, Brian Moran, CEO of Government CIO, um, and I'd like to thank uh, my co-hosts on the show, uh, Joe Applebaum of Potomac Companies, Andrew Renard at Cressa, Fred Barrents at AOG Wealth Management, Gabe Muller at Muller Consulting, and Andrew Howard at Howard Insurance for helping develop our storyline and hopefully delivering to our listening audience an entertaining and educational show. We've had uh, Jeff Freeman, President of the Grocery Manufacturers Association, Scott Newman, CEO of Transparent BPO. We had Matt Clark, President of CoreCentric, and Brian Moran, CEO of Government CIO. And I'd like to thank our listening audience for listening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a radio show. Don't forget to visit our website, Executive Leaders Radio, to learn more about our executive leaders. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.